the way for the king. And the townspeople would gather together and they would see what would need to be done so that they could welcome this king into their town and so they would prepare and clean the paths. They would make them straight. They would fill the potholes. They would make sure there was room for the king and his court to come through to the town to pay the town a visit so that they could be hospitable for the king, so that the king had room in the town. And the same is true for us today as we prepare our way for the Christmas season. We remember that the king has come. Love came down. And so the four Sundays leading to Advent are four Sundays where we light each candle representing the light of Christ coming into our life. And then on Christmas Day, the center candle is lit, representing that Jesus Christ is our only hope this Christmas season and every day of our lives. There's a lot of noise around Christmas, isn't there? There's a lot of things trying to get you to buy the perfect gift for the perfect person. But really, what we realize is that gift is going to wear off and that person isn't very much perfect, if you know what I mean. You can look to your left and to your right and you can see that, you know, hey, we all have issues. We all have problems. I see you looking, don't look too hard and, uh, or stare too long. But with that being said, it is in that realization of our imperfection where we can be honest with ourselves and say, above all people in the Christmas season, that we are broken and that we need help. There's a great tendency to pretend that everything's okay. There's a great tendency to pretend that, that everything's going smoothly in life, and especially in this time of year when we're supposed to be filled with good tidings and great joy, which I completely agree with. All those good tidings and great joy come with perfect circumstances and to where we have to prop ourselves up to make ourselves look like perfect people in order to experience that. We teach our kids that if you're not good, Santa Claus is going to bring you coals. And so I have actually said that a couple times, I must say. All right. Um, But the reality of Christmas is that there's nothing that we could do to deserve God's grace that came in that day through the babe in the manger who would take the path to become the king on the cross. There is nothing that we can do to earn the grace that came in that time and place in history that has forever changed this world and forever changed our life. The Christmas season is above all a time for us broken people to reach for the one who was broken for us. The Christmas season is above all a time for us as broken people to reach for the one who was broken for us. And my my prayer this morning, and this has been my prayer for us this week, and this has been even my prayer for myself, is that we would be able to come to a place of honesty, acknowledging our need for King Jesus in our hearts as we prepare him room now more than ever now more than ever, that we would be honest with ourselves about our absolute dependency upon Christ to enter into our lives because love came down and dwelt among us. This is the message of Christmas hope. 
And this is the message that was prophesied for the years preceding to the coming of Christ. It was the message that was foretold by the prophets that there would be a Savior and He would correct the wrong things of this world and make them right. And He would bring restoration to His chosen people. And the prophet Malachi means messenger. That name means messenger. In Malachi, the messenger is ironically talking about a messenger who is to come. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger before me. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That word behold means pay attention. Something is important, something important is about to take place. In Malachi's message of behold is that there is a messenger that is to come. And the messenger, as we read the prophet Malachi and we look forward seeing what Malachi could not see in the New Testament, but that which he told us about was the coming of Christ through the prophet John the Baptist. John the Baptist Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. That our hearts would be ready to receive the Messiah and King. That our hearts would be ready to receive love. That's the first point of this sermon and the title of this sermon. Is that we would receive the love of God. As we just talked about, we are broken people in need of a Savior who is broken for us. And when we think about receiving the love of God, we think about receiving the love of God because we're in need of it, because we're a broken people. And really the driving point of this sermon and the driving point of this text is that God works in the midst of brokenness. God works in the midst of brokenness. We are a people that desperately need God's work, and God works through that brokenness to bring healing. Many times we think about receiving love, we think, if, if I could receive uh, love from God the way I want it, if I could receive love from God the way I want it. So what happens is we treat God like a slot machine. Like if I could just pull it one more time and get the three things in a row and all, and ding, 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 out comes a million dollars. That's what I really need. And if God wants to love me, this is a way he could love me. And so we ask him for the gifts that we think that we need. But listen, God loves us more than that. God loves us so much. He doesn't give us what we want. Because if he were to do that, it would destroy us. But he gives us what we need. And what we need is a savior. And if we don't recognize that fact, then we'll never receive God's love. If we don't recognize that God gives us what we need and not first and foremost what we want, then we're going to look for something else. We're going to look for other created things to fill our heart with a love that doesn't belong there. But to receive God's love is to receive the working power of God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ, that brings forgiveness and reconciliation and hope. Malachi proclaimed this message so that the people of Israel would hear it. 
and that they would receive that love and know that love when it came. But what happened? They didn't. In fact, Jesus was rejected. It was the religious leaders, the ones who were supposed to be the most receptive to Jesus, were the ones that rejected him because they thought that Jesus wouldn't be coming to fix their greatest need, but to give them their greatest want. They wanted for Israel to be restored. They wanted for them to be a place of prominent in the political scope of their day and time. They wanted a king who would set up shop and become the ruler and restore Israel and give gifts of political power to those who are closest to him. But Jesus came because there was a greater need. The greatest need was not that man who God has loved would rule the world here and now, but that man would be restored and united to him. And the greatest problem is the sin problem. And the reason why we need Jesus is because that sin problem has remained in humanity ever since the beginning of creation. We have fallen, we've rebelled, we've sinned against God, we've turned to our own ways, says the prophet Isaiah. Paul says, no one is righteous, no, not one. There is no way that man could earn their way back to God when they have sinned against the holiness and righteousness of a loving God who has given us everything in himself. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, had right relationship with God. And Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the one thing that God told them not to do, and they did, in fact, do it. Because in that moment, they believed that God did not want their best, and there was something better for them. And they took that fruit, and they ate of it. And the Bible says their eyes were open, knowing good and evil. And Adam and Eve thought that they were like God. But in reality, they had separated themselves from God. That's what Pastor Josiah preached on last week in Genesis 3.15. Because the curse of humanity is that all humanity would bear the marks and stains of sin like Adam and Eve because you and me would have done the same things that Adam and Eve did. If Adam and Eve were replaced with Ryan and Carrie, it would have been a lot worse, namely because of me, not because of my lovely wife. (laughs) Um, But we are all in need of God's grace and redemption. And the message of uh, of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is the one who came and cleansed us. And here's the main truth I want you to understand for receiving love in the midst of brokenness. Because what God wants for us is to be a pure people. And if God wants for us to be a pure people, a people who have been refined and have been made righteous, before we can be purified, we must be purchased. Before we can be purified, we must be purchased. And the purchasing work of the gospel is Jesus Christ on the cross paying the debt of our sin. And because he has purchased us, we therefore belong to him. Because the work of of righteousness, the work of God at work in our life, isn't a work that we do, 
but it's a work that he does. And if he is the one that does the work, we have to rely upon his grace to do so. And his grace comes through his son. And his son is the one who has purchased us from death to life. And before any of us can receive any love from God so that we would be worthy of God's grace and affection, it would come through the one who is worthy for us where we could never be. Before you can be purified, you must be purchased. Remember, God's at work in the brokenness. And the first step for healing to take place in our life is that we would receive the finished work of Jesus Christ for our salvation on our behalf. That's the first thing to remember. If we don't remember that, everything that we're going to do is to try to earn God's grace and approval, to try to earn God's affection, to try to earn His love. But the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus is not a love that we can earn, but a love that was given And a love that was given through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Before we can be purified, we must be purchased so that God could be at work in our brokenness. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that we had to clean ourselves up and make ourselves presentable before God. You remember the story of Cain and Abel where they were to give a gift to God, an offering to God, and Cain gave God the fruit of his labor, the, the, the fruit of the trees. And he said to God, here, take this offering. I've grown this fruit for you. Look what I've done for you, God. And Abel brought a pure, sinless, spotless lamb representing the fact that Abel would never be acceptable before God unless he brought forward a sacrifice that would prepare the way for the redeeming, cleansing work of his sin. This message has been given to us from the prophets of old to the apostles in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all our sins. And then there's a beautiful truth that begins to root deeply in our heart. And that truth is, is that because of that work, in verse 2 we see we can stand and endure the day of His coming. And we can stand when He appears. That's the question that Malachi asks that's answered by the messenger Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ actually came as the messenger and the message And the message of Jesus Christ is that the covenant has been fulfilled. And the covenant that's been fulfilled hasn't been on the part of God's people, but has been fulfilled completely on the part of God. And that's why God's people can stand, because God is a covenant-keeping God, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. There is a covenant that was given in the Old Testament where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And God being our God so that we could be his people meant that we would have to be perfect because we would have to do everything that God commanded in order that we could be God's people. But the covenant keeping God in the midst of our unfaithfulness made a way for us to stand and we stand upon the righteousness of Christ and not our own. We can stand because Jesus Christ stands in our place. 
Point number two is that the love that God gives is a refining love. The love that God gives is a refining love to work in the midst of brokenness. Oftentimes the reason why the Christian life is such a struggle is because we want God to be done with us after salvation. God, if you could just save me and then let me do whatever I want. Well, let me tell you, God loves you more than that. He loves you more than that. He loves you more than just to say, here's salvation and go and live like you want. But God continues to bring his purifying, cleansing, refining work in our life to make us whole. And it's painful. A few months ago, I started working out, and it was kind of crazy for me because I started CrossFit. And I hadn't worked out in a really long time, really, really, really long time. And then one day I did CrossFit. That was, that was crazy. But I had some friends who loved me, and they dragged me there, and then they took me out on a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's this thing called DOMS. Anybody ever heard of DOMS? Delayed Onset Muscle Syndrome. There you go, personal trainer Emmanuel. DOMS. And DOMS, man, you, I felt good, actually, first day after the exercise. I, I felt good. And then the next day, I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit sore. And then, like, day two, I'm asking Carrie to tie my shoes because I can't bend down. Like, it was really bad 48 hours after. And it, it's really amazing how our muscles work and how our body breaks down and, and rebuilds itself when we're trying to get physically fit. Because... What's happening with that delayed onset muscle syndrome is that there's these little microscopic tears that are taking place in our muscles. And it's really, really painful. I mean, it was so painful for me. This is about as long as I could extend out this arm. If I tried to do this, I was like, ah. And that delayed onset muscle syndrome is really painful. And if you've been through cycles of exercise and not exercise and things like that, usually this is one of the things that can cause you not to go back because it's really painful, right? You get, you start your first day and then like two days in, you're like, that really sucked. I am never doing that again. And, but the, the thing that's really important to know is that, and it goes against the grain, is that you, you've got to keep going, even in the midst of the pain. Because if you don't, then those muscles are never going to rebuild the way they're supposed to rebuild. And you're never going to experience good and proper health. I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, so, um, so for those of us who are starting in January, uh, um, get ready for doms to come in. But all that to say is we're God's children and God loves us enough to subject us to the painful things of life in order to refine us and to make us stronger. Like all those microscopic muscle tears that take place that make it painful after we exercise. Or the pains that we experience in sanctification. Becoming holy and more like Christ. Remember, God's not done with us. And because God's not done with us, He's at this work of purification and cleansing us. And this purification that God does is to turn up the heat like gold, if you've ever seen 
the movie Gold Rush, you, or the show Gold Rush, you, you see these guys pull this gold out of the ground and it looks really ugly and dirty and gross. And, but this thing goes under the heat and it becomes a really beautiful, beautiful piece of metal. It shines brightly. It's valuable. And this is who we are to God. But in order for us to shine like silver or gold, we must go through the refiner's fire. And that's what the Bible calls God over 12 times. He is like a refiner's fire. He is like a refiner's fire. And that fire burns away our impurities. It burns away our idolatries. To what stands in the midst of that refinement is the pure work of Jesus Christ that shines brightly for the world to see. This is why he says that it's like fuller soap. The fuller was a a profession where they would cleanse the wool to make it desirable, to where it would be pure And it would be something that could be worn, but that wool was disgusting and dirty before that fuller had it. And it was the cleansing of that of that wool with the fuller soap that made it desirable for everyday use. And we go through that work of stretching and refining and being scrubbed so that we can be desirable to a world filled with corruption, filled with sin, so that we could be like Christ. The goal of God isn't simply our salvation, but our sanctification. Those those things go together. God loves you more than to just be done with you after giving you His Son. In fact, there is no after giving you His Son. His Son is always with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And He's refining you and He's purifying you. This is why James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kinds, for these trials will test your faith. And they'll produce hope. And they'll produce character. And they'll produce peace. Because it's in those refining things that take place where God's goodness overwhelms. And like James, we can say when a trial comes, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, because you're using this trial to make me fall more in love with you. God is at work in the midst of our brokenness, refining us, purifying us, giving us the opportunity to worship him in a greater way. Can we be comfortable enough in our lives to receive God's blessings when they come for richer or poorer. When we take our vows in marriage, we say in sickness and in health, in richer or poorer. Is it the trials in life where you just want to push the eject button on God because it gets too painful? Is it the trials in life where you want to push, push the eject button on God because there's not enough money in the bank account? If, if that is the case, friends, you worship a God who's way too little. Our God is bigger than that. He's not defined by circumstances or finances or resources or good health or bad health. But God works through all things for the good of those who love him. And if God should give you good health or if God should give you disease, God loves you 
no matter what. And he's using those things in order to create in you a pure heart of worship for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Verse 11, for the, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The book of Hebrews talks about how we are trained up in the way of the Lord by God's discipline. And chapter 12 in particular goes into the reality that if we are disciplined by God, we can count it joy because we are sons of God. For what father would discipline a son who he doesn't love? But God disciplines in order to train us up in the way he should go. And discipline doesn't always mean punishment. But discipline simply means that the exercises that he has us take in place in our life are in order to cause us to walk the way he wants us to walk so that we can reach a broken and lost world. You may have heard me talk about my friends Mark and Liz Hadaway. Mark died just a couple months ago of cancer. I watched him endure this struggle for five years where he had a cancer, where he had cancer in his brain. And it slowly took away life from him. And I remember as I sat in front of Mark and Liz one day, Liz was telling us how some other friends of ours that we had known uh, before they had, had realized Mark had cancer, they had MLS. And I remember Liz saying that she was so concerned for these friends, how they would do it. How could, how could they possibly go through this sickness and this disease? How could they have the strength to go through it? And, and she remembered praying for them, that God would give them grace. And then later on, her husband would be stricken with this cancer. And you know what she said? It was so powerful. She said, I wondered how they would get by that time. And then I came through our time. And God gave us everything we needed. And God gave us everything we needed. He's a refiner's fire, but he's not going to leave you alone. He's a refiner's fire, but he's not just going to burn you without being present in the fire with you. We just studied the book of Daniel in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they went through the burning flames of the furnace because they would not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. And in that fire was the light, the fourth man, the angel of the Lord, who preserved them, who saved them, who allowed them to endure it. Friends, I tell you, God will not allow you to be destroyed in the fire. He won't. He doesn't give us the fire to consume us. Author and pastor Matt Chandler says, the discipline of the Lord is never meant to consume or destroy his children, but rather to woo them, to reconcile them, and to reset them. The fire of God is meant to draw us in to Christ so that we would be greater lovers of King Jesus than we ever were. If you've been married and gone through hard times with your wife or with your children even, you can say at the end of those trials that those trials can make you a better person. I don't know that I know they can they don't always lead to that. 
But if our hearts are devoted to the Lord and we turn our hearts to them, we could withstand those things realizing that our spouse is not the enemy or our children are not the enemy or roommates not the enemy. But in those relationships that are close, we can realize that God is allowing this hurt, this pain, this conflict, this challenges in order to bring about a more pure love for Him and one another. God's refining fire causes us to love Him more and to love others greater. He's at work in the brokenness. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Verse, the, the, the next part of that verse says, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. God is purifying for himself a, a, a people. A people of pure worship. This is the third point of the sermon today. God works in our brokenness through allowing us to receive His love and allowing us to be, number two, refined by His love. And point number three, allowing us to be redeemed by love. God's original purpose for us as His created people is that we would worship Him. And the only way we can worship God is through recognizing and receiving His work. His work equals our worship. And at the end of the day, the offering is an offering that's holy and acceptable to the Lord. God redeems us. If God, in fact, purchased us, If God is the one who purifies us, then we could say, I am not my own. I belong to him. The book of 1 Corinthians says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, brothers, in view of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, in view of what God has done in bringing redemption by His grace, in view of this refining fire that is taking place in burning away the impurities and the idolatry of your life, to live your lives as worship to God, to place yourself on the hot coals and the burning altar of God and say, God, consume me. Use me for yourself. I am your child and I want to serve you. I want to be a message of hope to a world that's broken and in need of your mercies. This is the message of Christianity. This is the message of Christmas. That Jesus Christ came as a man and dwelt among us. That he died a sinner's death, the death that we deserved. And that he rose again on the third day to give us life, the life that he deserves. And the life that God gives us is the life that's meant to be lived wholeheartedly for him. 
And if God is doing that work of redemption in you, you can better believe that God is doing that redemption in the world around you. And that you can be the light of Christ to a broken world. And the message of hope is that you have been a broken person that have been redeemed and restored. The challenges that you've had notwithstanding, you might say, well, I have this laundry list of, of, of sin. I have this laundry list of guilt and condemnation that just is carrying on me like a heavy backpack. You know what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, is He's taken that away. And He's continuing to redeem you and to purchase you from death to life. It's a one and done deal, but at the same time, the work that God does, it continues on, and it is an offering for a watching world. Think about the people that you're going to be sitting around the table with this Christmas. How can you be an offering of hope to God that puts Jesus on display to them? Think about your neighbors and the people that go, uh, that are in life around you. How can you be that refined gold and silver that shines forth the light of Christ to them? The application from this sermon in our time together is this. How do we receive the work of God's love through our brokenness? It's the question. How do we receive the work of God's love through our brokenness? Number one, trust. Trust the one who's refining you and is purifying you and is cleansing you. Trust him. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He won't consume you, but he will undergird you and be present with you. Trust him. Number two, obey. Obey. That which we trust, we will obey. If we trust in the things of this world, we will obey the calls and cries of the way of this world. Just like Adam and Eve trusted in Satan and, and walked in disobedience. But if we trust God, we will obey him because we worship him and we know that he wants for us our best. And even when it means that it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard and difficult, we obey him realizing that he's with us. Point number three, belong. Belong. We belong to God's church. You're not alone. There's all around you are broken people in need of the same grace and redemption. And what's important for us to realize is that the more that we walk alone, the more that we can struggle and suffer where it's unnecessary. But this is why God instituted the church. Uh, People who have been broken and have been put back together by God's grace. And so this is why it's important for the church to have biblical community where we can be honest about our sin where we could be honest about our struggles and where we could be honest about what God is doing in our lives right now and where we need Him most. That we would be a church that's honest about the things that God is seeking to refine and purify and bring redemption to. Share the story of your life with someone else and allow them to speak the hope of God into your life through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
we come to a time where we take communion. And as I stated in the beginning of the sermon, Christmas is above all the time for us as broken people to reach out to the one who is broken for us. And that's the message this Christmas season, is that because Christ was broken for us, we would not have to be broken. That means that we can endure the fire because Christ endured it on our behalf. It means that our body could suffer in this world because Christ's body suffered on the cross, but ultimately we would be redeemed. Ultimately, we would be restored to our Savior for all eternity without brokenness anymore. And the first advent or coming of Christ points to the second advent, which says there will be a day where there will be no pain, no hurt, no more refinement, because we stand as the children of God in the image of Christ forever in heaven, purchased by the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Christmas is a time for us to reach to the one who is broken for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the hope that we have this Christmas season and the love that you've prepared for us. God, right now I ask that our hearts would give you room to work that our hearts would give you room to redeem and refine, how that we would trust you so that when that fire comes, Lord, we don't disregard it, but we receive it with joy and sincerity and gladness because that fire is causing us to fall more in love with you. That fire is causing us to be an offering that's given to you in worship acceptable, pleasing in your sight. Father God, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow this message to sink in deeply. We long for you. And that longing for you, God, would be you filling us up with more and more of what your Son has done in order to make us acceptable. God, we receive your love. We walk in your love. We live in your love. By the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? For those who believe in Jesus Christ as their forgiver, their leader, and Lord, I invite you to come and partake in communion. Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was shed. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive the Lord's Supper in that way. If you're just wondering about Christianity and would have questions, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Can somebody help me so that I can understand this better? There will be people at the Get Connected table that will be happy to answer any questions that you may have or even to pray for you should you need any prayer this morning. We receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, the message of grace, the free gift of God's mercy this Christmas season. Let's join in God's plan and purpose and enjoy His work.